0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifecasey.com. Well, today we're kicking off a new teaching series, which always excites me, titled Summer Baggage. And in this series, what we're going to be looking at is the things that weigh us down in life, aka the baggage that we carry, or as that video showed, the junk that we tend to carry with us that gets in the way of our purpose, that gets in the way of our relationships, that stops us from being the person that we were actually meant to be. And our theme verse that we're going to be looking at throughout this series is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And so we'll put it up here. And it starts off by saying this, that therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses... We'll pause there because this is kind of an interesting phrase, this huge crowd of witnesses. Some translations actually have it as a huge cloud of witnesses. What are we talking about? What's going on? Well, I think the easiest way to think about this is the fact that this weekend there was a huge crowd of witnesses at Arrowhead Stadium for the Taylor Swift concert. How many of you guys heard about this? Anybody? Yeah. How could you not hear about it? And if you were fortunate enough to go, which means that you're also rich enough to go because the tickets were not cheap, you would have witnessed an amazing show. It had rocket sleds. It had stunts. It had a 44-song set list and the budget for the tour, $100 million. Incredible. It was such a big deal that ticket prices were nuts. I looked at them uh, yesterday for last night's show, and I think that they were still setting about $900 for the nosebleeds. Uh, they had some tickets as high as eleven dollars that they were selling for this concert. And so it was the heiress tour. It was all of Taylor Swift's heirs from all of her albums over the last 10 albums. And it was an unbelievable show. And there was a huge crowd. Of witnesses to Taylor Swift and the show she put on. So, when we read the Bible here, this idea of a huge crowd of witnesses, that's not an unfamiliar concept. That's not hard to get our minds around. But what is the author of Hebrews trying to say? He's saying this that before we ever showed up, there was a group of people. In fact, it was a huge crowd of people who had followed Jesus before us, who had loved God. In fact, Hebrews 11, the chapter right before this, says that they were heroes of faith. And they've gone before us and it's almost as though they're in heaven looking from the grandstand of heaven down at us. And they are witnessing us and they are cheering for us to live this faith out. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, here's what we're supposed to do. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, the the part of this verse that I have underlined and highlighted on the screen, this is where we're going to focus our our attention, the the one idea that we're going to drill down on in this series. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, this baggage that we carry, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And I want you to notice, why are we to strip these things off? Why are we to take the weight off? Why are we to get rid of the sin? Well, it's the last sentence right there. We are to get rid of this extra weight in sin because we're supposed to be running a race. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I know a thing or two about running races. In fact, for, gosh, 25 years, I've been involved with track and field and cross country. I've myself probably ran over 100 races I've coached hundreds of athletes and witnessed, literally, I was thinking about this, thousands of races. And over the course of my life, I have learned a few things about running a race. And so you are so blessed that I am your pastor, because I am going to help you to know how to run the race. And here's the first thing that you've got to do. If you're going to run a race well, you've got to get dressed for the race, You can't show up and expect to run the race well in a suit and tie and penny loafers. You will not run well. You shouldn't show up to the race wearing your croc slip-on shoes. It's not going to be a good day for you. You can't show up to the race in a dress and, and high heels, what do they call them? Are they pumps? I don't know. You can't do that. Don't do that, all right? That's not good for you. If you try to run a race in corduroy jeans, you are liable to set your pants on fire from the mere friction in between your legs. Don't do it. There's a certain way that you're supposed to dress when it comes time to run a race. And so the good news is I know what you're supposed to wear. So first you got to get yourself a good pair of running shorts. They're lightweight. They're short. They don't prevent you from running. They don't hinder you. They don't hold you back. You can get flamboyant colors, whatever. You've got to start with a good pair of shorts. And then after your shorts, you need to get a good shirt. You know, the good shirt is one that is is a dry fit shirt. I always like the dry fit. You know what dry fit means? It means that it's going to pull the sweat off of your body onto the fabric so it can evaporate faster so that you can stay cool while you run. How cool is that? And if you struggle with chafing, they have this stuff called glide, and you put it all over you so you don't chafe when you run. If you're going to run a race well, you've got to get equipped. You've got to get the right gear. You've got to get dressed. And maybe the most important part of the whole attire is is your shoes. One of my favorite runners of all time, American runners, was Steve Prefontaine. How many of you guys know who Steve Prefontaine was? Okay, a few of you. He was a runner back in the 1970s. He uh, actually, as a college athlete, ran at Oregon University and ran for coach Bill Bowerman. Now, coach Bill Bowerman, maybe you don't know, he ended up becoming the co-founder of Nike. And while as a coach, he began to think about how important shoes were to his athletes and to his racers. And so what he began to do is he began to build his own shoes in the garage of his house. And he would try to figure out how to make the shoe lighter, to make it stable, to make it have good grip, but also to be able to support the foot. And so he made shoes out of gator skins. He made them out of cod. He made them out of all sorts of stuff. But the turning moment for him was watching his wife make him waffles one morning. And he was like, waffles. He said, that design is going to be good for my shoes. So he stole her waffle iron and went and poured urethane in it <laughs> and, and ruined the waffle maker. But he was on to something, so he went and bought five more waffle makers. And he eventually came up with what was called the waffle racer. And I actually have a replica pair of Bill Bowerman's, waffle racers that he had created that was a lightweight shoe that provided the stability and the strength that his runners needed because it didn't weigh anything. And Bill Bowerman's whole thing was this, he says if we can cut one ounce off of that shoe, over the course of one mile, we will have cut 55 pounds of lifting that that runner would need. So the lighter we can make the shoe, the faster they're gonna go. If we want to see the runner reach their potential, we have to strip the weight off of the shoe. And so that's that's the old Nike waffle racers, of course, technology continued to improve. This here's a set of spikes that's even lighter than the waffle racers, that's got some spikes on the bottom of it. These are cross-country spikes, they can be used in track as well, but they're super lightweight. They're designed to help the racer to run well. And because they're light, it allows them to work easier and go faster than they would if they were weighed. Down and, and, and technology continues to improve. Nike has continued to improve upon the technology of what they do. I don't know if you know this. They've had advancements in the type of foam. This foam here is heavy, and it's not responsive. They figured out new formulas for foam that's lighter and gives more feedback to the runner. So it used to be you'd get about 60% return rate on the foam. Now it's about 85%. And then they discovered if you would put a piece of carbon fiber down the middle of the shoe, you would get more return on on every step and so Nike came out with just a few years ago what was called the Nike Vaporfly and if you're in the running world you know exactly what that is there was the Nike Vaporfly 4% and the whole idea was it was going to help you to improve your running economy by at least 4% and so everybody started buying these shoes and so since those came out world record about every world record in the distance world has been broken in a pair of Nike vapor flies. And the most current model is the Nike Vaporfly. Next percent, because, hey, we can't keep measuring percents. This is the next percent to make you better. And so back in the day, like when I was a runner, a good pair of running shoes was like $100. But then, like, our world changed. And so, like, a couple years ago, it had been like $120. Now, you want a good pair of running shoes? Like $150. But you want the Vaporflies? $275. And I've got athletes that I've coached that have two pairs. Because they want to strip the weight so that they can run their absolute best. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let me ask you a question as you look at that verse. Whose responsibility is it to strip off every weight? It's ours. It says, let us. But I thought God was going to do it all. No. Let me teach you a little principle that will help you as a Christian. There's God's part, but then there's your part. And God is going to do what God's going to do, but he's also given you a free will. And he's not going to make you do certain things, but he's going to invite you to participate with his plan. And so, when it comes to stripping off the weight, you can't say, Well, I can't believe God hasn't taken this from me. No, no, no. That was your job. You were supposed to remove the weight, you were supposed to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. And so, in our verse, it's clear your responsibility, your job, is to strip off the weight. That slows you down. It's your job to lay down your sin, your junk, the baggage that you carry. It's your responsibility to lay that down. And by the end of the verse, it says this cool thing. It says that we are to run. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Friends, God has a race for you. And it's not a sprint. It's going to require endurance. I always wanted to be a sprinter. Sprinting's kind of sexy. You just show up, you run for like 11 seconds. It's a moment of glory, and then you go home. (laughs) And then there's the rest of us out there running eight laps, two miles. You hear over the intercom, we have hot dogs, half price. The few people still in the stands are leaving to go to the concession stand while you run lap after lap. In fact, running in laps, you, you forget what lap you're on. And so it's not unfamiliar for a kid to, to be running cross country and be like, what lap am I on? And so, coaches, we have to remember you're on lap six. Am I on lap six or am I finishing lap six, coach? What am I doing? Endurance running is a different beast. And when it comes to the race that God has for you, it's not a sprint. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not one of those things that you're just going to be able to do. You're going to have to learn to develop endurance. But the good news for us here is that God has a race for you, which means that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. And I think some of you need to hear that because I think You might have forgotten. You might have gotten caught up with the baggage and the stuff that you carry, that your eyes have just kind of gotten down, and you've forgot that God has called you to something great, and you've just been kind of under the weight of this, and you've been internally focused, and you've just been watching yourself plot around aimlessly. But I'm here to tell you, no, God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. And the best thing you can do is get in step with what his plan and his purpose is. So I want you to know you have purpose. Your life isn't over. Your life isn't meaning. No, no, no. God, the God of the universe has a purpose for you. You may say, well, I feel purposeless. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But the truth of the matter is God has a purpose for you. You have to get in step with it. And here's the best part of of, of this idea that God has a purpose for me is that God's not asking me to find my own purpose. That would be cruel because I know me. When I was 20 years old, I knew what my life was going to be like. But then I turned 30. And you know what I realized about my 20 year old self? He was an idiot. He did not know what was going on. The things he liked, the girls he liked, oh, he was an idiot. But then, I'm approaching 40. You know how I feel about my 30-year-old self? That guy was an idiot too. (laughs) And you know what I suspect? (laughs) When I get to be 50, (laughs) my 40-year-old self ain't so good. Here's, Here's the point. You and I were never meant to determine the trajectory of our life. We're no good at it. If I had to find my own purpose, it would always be changing. What I thought I wanted to do at 20 is different now. I learned some things. Life changed. And my purpose is always all over the map if it's up to me. But here's the good news about what God says. He has a race for you to run. He has a purpose for you. You don't have to find it within yourself. It's not some new agey thing. I got to go on a darkness retreat and figure out my purpose and what team I should go to. And I don't have to do that. I'm not Aaron Rodgers. I need to instead (laughs) look to God and find my purpose. And he knows my purpose. And God's purpose isn't going to change. It's not going to waver. It's not going to be one way today and a different way tomorrow. No, no, he's a little smarter than the rest of us. I don't know if you know that. And he has a better purpose for you. And so we, if we're smart, will not try to figure out our purpose and meaning in life. We'll instead embrace the purpose that he has for us. To run the race that he has for us. And you say, well, I don't know exactly what that race is supposed to be. I don't know, Pastor Alex, exactly what this purpose is that you You say that God has for me. Well, the easiest way to discover the purpose of an invention is to ask the creator of it. And the same is true for discovering your life's purpose. You need to ask God. He created you, He designed you, He put you together special, He put you together on purpose. You're not an accident. There's accidental parents in the world. There's not accidental humans. Like you have been breathed the breath of God into your life. You have the gift of life and it has a meaning and it has a purpose. It's not without meaning. It's not without, no, no. You have a purpose. You need to ask the creator what your purpose is. And here's the good news about our creator. Not only did he create you, but he loves you. And he's not trying to withhold information from you. He's not cruel. He's not leading you on. No, he loves you and wants what's best for you. And he wants to share his heart with you. He wants you to experience fruitfulness and fulfillment. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you'll never experience fruitfulness or fulfillment until you find his purpose. You can try all you want. You can chase whatever you want. It will never be fruitful and it will never satisfy. It will always be empty. Until you step into God's plan for your life, you'll always be lacking. God created me. He loves me. He has a purpose for me, and it's my job to get in step with his purpose, so let me and let you, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I want you to notice here that there are two hurdles. There's two hindrances to running the race. Two categories. Number one, there's the weight that slows us down, but then there's a separate category of the sin. And a lot of times we just tend to think, well, it's just sin. It's only sin that holds me back. No, definitely sin, it it easily trips us up. No doubt about it. Sin definitely hinders you. You should stop sinning. You should stop violating what God would have for you. You know what sin is, but there's this other thing categorically different than sin that can also hinder you and hold you back. And this is what we don't like to think about. We like to say, well, I'm following the Ten Commandments. I didn't murder anybody today. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. But that's cute. That's fine. Way to go. But what about all this other stuff? That's not evil that you're spending your life on? Is there anything inherently evil about watching television? No. Is there anything inherently evil about working overtime? No. Is there anything inherently evil about eating? Is there anything inherently evil about a lot of things? No, no, no. There's nothing inherently evil about them. But all of those things can become a hindrance to you. What are you watching on TV? How much time are you putting into it? What are you doing? Are you using that to check out from life because life's too heavy for you and you can't handle it and so you're coping with life by eating and watching television and trying to numb out? What are you doing? It may not be inherently evil, but it's become evil because it's a weight that's holding you back from what God has for you. And it's our job, not just to stop the sin. We get that. But there's this weight. But I, I don't know if I can stop scrolling on my phone that much. I have to do it to go to sleep. Do, do you, though? I just, really, I just really like this. It's, it's comfortable. I've, just, I've, always, I've always done it. Yeah? But has it become a weight that's holding you back? We have to get rid of the things that are holding us back. And what's holding you back is probably different than the person next to you. We get sin, we're all struggling with that, but we're gonna overcome that. But now the weight for you, it might be different than the person next to you. And it's our responsibility to strip it off. And here's a principle we all know, but we like to forget. (laughs) More focus equals more impact. Some of you are like, well, duh. Yeah, but, but think about that. More focus equals more impact. You try to lose weight, try to get in shape, try to get your body moving. I try to coach endurance athletes. You you know, the more they focus, the more they show up, the more they put their time in, the more energy they put into it. Guess what? The more impact. If you can give me somebody who's committed and consistent, they'll be they'll be a great runner. I don't care where they started. They'll grow. They'll develop. More focus equals more impact. Where is your focus? See, the Bible says that without focus or without vision, that people just tend to run wild. Uh, another verse says that they just run aimlessly. It's like, it's like a boxer, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to hit, so he's just like boxing the air. <laughs> like, what is that guy doing? <laughs> I don't know. We need to have focus. And the more we focus, the greater our impact. And I just wonder how many of us are living with unfulfilled potential in our life. And I don't know about you, but, but I want my life to count for something. I don't want to waste my life. I want my life to count. As Jim Cimbala said in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he said, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I don't want to live my life unfocused, outside of God's purpose, and get to the end of my life and realize God never met me because I didn't meet him. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. How oh, I despair at the thought that I live this life removed from God. Now, God wants to meet with us. God wants to move in our lives. I don't want my life to be wasted. I want my life to count. It's a big question, but it needs to be asked. What are you holding on to that is keeping you from being the person that you were meant to be? What are you holding on to? What habit, what tendency, what routine... What sin, what behavior, what are you holding on to that is keeping you from being the person that you were meant to be? Over the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we were doing called The Church of Ephesus. And in that series, I talked a lot about this guy named Paul, who was an early first century church planner. And here's the truth of the matter is that Paul had had this crazy encounter with God that completely changed the trajectory of his life. He was going one way, but he encountered God and recognized that God had a plan for his life and he completely radically changed. And there's a lot of people that that we might be able to look at as an example of passion and intentionality and focus, but at the top of that list has got to be Paul. Like this guy was all in. And so we we learned about how he went to different places and he encountered opposition, whether it was shipwreck or whether it was a mob, whether it was people that were against him. But anytime he experienced suffering, it never moved him off of the purpose God had for him. He was clearly focused on what he was doing, not just when it was easy, but all the time. And so we find that... Paul, in Acts chapter 16, was with a friend of his named Silas, and they were traveling together trying to tell people about Jesus because he knew that's what I'm here for. I'm here to reach people and tell people about Jesus. And so him and Silas are going, and they're having great impact. People are saying, yes, we want to embrace Jesus. And he's like, awesome, let's get baptized. They're like, what's baptism? Yes, we're getting baptized. So incredible, cool stuff's happening. And they end up in the city of Philippi. And while they're there, they're moving every day to the spot that they're going to pray. They're having a daily prayer meeting. And so it just so happened that as they're on their walk to this prayer meeting, there was this girl in town who started following them and shouting at them. And in verse number 18, it says that this girl following them and shouting at them, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it instantly left her. I find this is just a funny verse because he wasn't going to deal with her, but she got on his nerves enough. He finally was like, fine, get out of her. And, and it left. Don't you love the Bible? It's so good. <laughs> well, as the story continues, here's what we come to find out, that there was actually a demon that was living in this girl, and in fact, she was a slave. She was owned by men who were trying to make a profit off of her because this demon would somehow or another help her to be able to give people fortunes. And so people were paying all of this money for the fortunes that this demon was saying through this girl. And the owners of this girl were making money. Well, guess what? Paul, on his walk to the prayer meeting, just cast out the demon that made them the money. And guess what? They weren't happy. They were mad. Their golden goose that was paying the bills can't do it no more. They didn't care about this girl. They didn't care about her life. They cared about the money that was coming to them. And so in an outrage, they went and grabbed Paul, and they grabbed Silas, and they drug him and put him before the authorities. They accused him of stuff, and the authorities were like, fine, flog them, which that was no small thing. People sometimes died because of the flogging. They flogged them, severely beat them with rods, and then if that wasn't enough, threw them in jail. Now, can you imagine? I'm on my way to prayer meeting. You're on your way to church today. Somebody was driving behind you in their car honking. You were mad. Demon, get out of them. (laughs) And now all of a sudden you're in jail, you're beaten, you're bloodied, you're hurt. Check this out, verse 23. After they, Paul and Silas, had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. Maximum security. You ain't on the outside. You're in the inner cell. And he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now in my head, I always pictured this growing up in church, that it was like a little ankle bracelet with a little chain on it. That's not what this was. That would be cute. That would be nice. No. This here was like stocks. Like you, you guys remember ever watching TV where they, have like the stocks where they put their hands and they close the lid and their head and their arms are here and they're stuck like this for a long time. I mean, can you imagine the number that did on your back and your arm and everything else? It was the same type of thing except for your feet. They said that it was a system that they could do to put them in a contorted position sometimes. So can you imagine getting into a weird yoga position and then you're stuck there? Like, that's no fun. Or they would spread their legs out depending on how much torture they wanted to give them. So it wasn't bad enough that they got severely flogged. It's not bad enough that they're in prison, but now they're being tortured by the jailer. But verse 25 is just too good. You know, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, because that's what they were going to do anyway, and now they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Like, what? What? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. What are you talking about, blessings? You are, you are bleeding still. You are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the evidence of your goodness. What? You can imagine what these other prisoners were thinking. But verse 26 is crazy. Suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake. This wasn't like a little earthquake. I don't know where it was on the scale, but like this was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, you think? And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped better to commit suicide than to deal with the authorities and they find out this but but paul shouted don't harm yourself we are all here what what i don't know about you but verse 26 when there, I'm singing my praise to Jesus and it's not looking good, and suddenly there's a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and all the prison doors opened up, you know what I'm thinking? Boy, this is a sign of God. Apparently I am delivered. Time to get back on to my prayer meeting and my church planting. I'm out of here. So then when the jailer's ready to kill himself... I mean, I don't know. I think I might have just let him off himself. (laughs) All right. Apparently, God's still moving. Wasn't just the earthquake. He's taking the jailer out too. We're free. But that's not what he does. He could have just sat by quietly. Everybody quiet. He's going to kill himself. We'll get out of here. No. Hey, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Why would Paul still be there? Here's what I believe. I believe it's because he knew his purpose. And even in the midst of everything that happened, he was still focused on what his purpose was, which was to reach people. Verse 29 says that the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, nothing, you dirty sinner. No, they didn't say that. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. They shared the gospel. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The new Commentary, uh, New Bible commentary says this, that the account of the salvation of the jailer is full of irony, that he should receive wholeness at the hands of his prisoners, that he should get water and wash their wounds, and they in turn use the water to baptize him. And of course, the picture of a jailer inviting two prisoners into his house to set a meal before them is just simply amazing. We said it earlier, but more focus equals more impact. And Paul had focus. And as a result, he had great impact. I think the earthquake was more for the jailer than it was for Paul. Sometimes we think that the supernatural move is for us, but often it's for others in our lives to encounter God's love. And the reason I share this story is because Paul understood something that many of us miss. Paul knew what his race was. He knew what he was running for. So my big question for you today is, do you know what you're running for? Do you know the race that God has for you. See, once you know your purpose, once you know the race you're supposed to run, it's a lot easier to let go of the weights. If your focus is just letting go of weights, that's really hard. But if you say, no, I know what I'm called to do. Of course, I can't have this. All of a sudden, it's easier to move in the direction that God has for you. Our primary verse, one last time. Disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Do you get it? Jesus ran his race, he was the champion, he was the best racer ever. And now it's our turn to run our race. Friends, it's time to go all in on the race that God has for you. It's time to lay down your baggage, any extra weight that you're carrying, and get moving. I wish everyone in our church knew with confidence what their purpose was, but I'm not sure everyone does. Some of you may feel like you're just going through the motions of life, just doing enough to get by. But if you wanna know God's purpose for your life, I'm gonna give you just three quick steps. Number one, we already alluded to this. You need to ask God. You don't know your purposes? Ask God. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to share with you why he created you the way he did, why he gave you the the, the Traits and the giftings that you and you alone have. Number one, ask God if you don't know your purpose. Number two, you need to discover your gifts. You can take a spiritual gift assessment. You can take a personality test. Take the Enneagram. Find out what passions God's given you. And start to move on them. And number three, just take a next step. Wherever you're at, there's a next step for you. Just do the next right thing. For some of you, you, at some point in time, the next right step was for you to begin coming to church. And so you've taken that step. You've begun to come to church. You're going to be here. You're going to gather together. That's awesome. But now, what's the next step? What's the next step for you? Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to start attending a, a class to help you grow in your faith. Maybe you need to plug into a women's group. Maybe you need to plug into a men's group. That's right. That's right. We will have stuff for men in the very near future. Maybe you need to say, It's time for me to become a church partner or member. I want to come link arms. Maybe it's time for you to start to serve. Take the next step wherever you're at. Because I believe as you do so, God will help you to know what your purpose is. See, change and growth are connected. And here's how they're connected change always comes before growth, change always comes before growth. So as we kick off this series, God's got a purpose for you. It's time to get in the race. Let's get rid of any weights. Over the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at some areas that you might say, hey, help me know, Pastor Alex, what weights I might have. What are some of these things that are outside of the world of sin that I need to get rid of? We're going to start to investigate some of those. We're going to make sure that we are race ready. Would you guys all bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being able to have fun in church. We thank you that Matthew and Cortland did such a great job. But Lord, we don't want to miss the point. And the point is, God, that you created us and you alone know our purpose. And the best thing that we can do, God, is ask you, God, what's the purpose that you have for us? What's the race that you have set out for us? Lord, I pray that no person here would want to waste their life that they want their life to count for something and that they would recognize the only way to make their life count is to get in step with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a renewed faith today, that we would believe in the unseen, that maybe our circumstances haven't changed from the time we walked in to the time we walk out of this building, but, Lord, may there be something changed on the inside of us. May we have spiritual eyes to see new things. Lord, may we have had a new passion in our heart come alive. And, Lord, may we fan into flame what it is that you're doing inside of us. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that are here today, for those that are watching online. I pray, God, that you would minister to them, that you would encourage them. And Lord, as we move throughout this series, that they would not be held back from your purposes, but Lord, that they would fully embrace who you are. And God, that they would experience a level of fulfillment and fruitfulness they've never experienced before. We ask for all these things in Jesus' holy name. Everybody said, amen. Amen thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.